From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. We hope you're enjoying your Christmas season. Uh, still have a few days left in, uh, in the Christmas season for you to enjoy. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. We talk faith, family, and fellowship normally, and we can talk that today as well. But we also are going to kind of focus on scriptural apologetics. It's Old Home Week as the former host of EWTN's Open Line Monday. John Martinoni joins us to host EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Father Wade Menezes had rotator cuff surgery. And he's got the wing in a sling, and uh, he will be back uh, hopefully with us in a couple of weeks with his fastball intact. But uh, John will be here taking your questions, so pick up the phone and give us a call, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you want to know where this, that, or the other Catholic teaching can be found in sacred scripture, John is your man. Or maybe if you're somebody who has not been able to get a hold of him, via the Bible Christian Society platforms, call today and you can uh, corner him uh, on the air live. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 271 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and uh, we may find it by the end of the program. And our host today, the aforementioned John Martinoni. How are you? I am doing well, sir. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, since we were last together, we uh, uh, the death of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI uh, has occurred, and we're kind of in the middle of all of, uh, of uh, the sacraments that go along with that situation. And I know that uh, you are more of an apologist, and most of your research is more topic-driven, but uh, I'm sure you have an appreciation, if I know you, for uh, our late Holy Father. Absolutely, and because he was such an incredible Scripture scholar, and as you mentioned, so much of what I do uh, is based in Scripture, because being here in Alabama with Catholics being only 3 to 4 percent of the population, every Almost every question we get is some form of where in the Bible is, and then name name your poison, you know, name your doctrine or dogma or, or Catholic practice. Where in the Bible is that? So everything I've done, I learned how to do basically from the Bible in in defending the faith. And and Benedict, Pope Benedict, uh, was such a again such an accomplished scripture scholar. Uh, John Paul II 
was uh, an incredibly accomplished philosopher. And philosophy is, I can dabble in philosophy, but there's that uh, quote from the Alexander Pope poem, uh, drink deep the Pierian spring. A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep the Pierian spring. So in philosophy, I have a little learning, so it's kind of a dangerous thing. But uh, scripture, I'm much more comfortable in. So uh, yes, I very much appreciate uh, um, Pope Emeritus Benedict and, and, and what he did. We're going to throw you right into the fire here. We have a YouTube uh, viewer, Michael P., and his question is, how is one supposed to discuss the role of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to a non-Catholic at a Catholic music or at, a, at a classical music concert where the Ave Maria is being played and sung? Well, let's see. In that instance, let's see, classical music concert where the Ave Maria... You know, if you're trying to broach a subject, obviously, as opposed to being asked, because if they ask the question, then you can you know, go wherever you will with, with an answer. But to broach the subject, you might want to, uh, I think the best place might be to start is uh, Revelation 12. You know, obviously, if you're listening to, an Ave, to a classical music concert and you're hearing the Ave Maria, if, if you're talking to, I'm assuming, a Christian, a non-Catholic Christian, then uh, they're familiar with the role of Mary in, you know, Jesus coming to earth in, in the form of man, true man, true God, and, and being born of a virgin, and that virgin was the Virgin Mary. But for many Protestants, that's where it ends. Well, she gave him birth to him, and that was it. Her, her, her role is done, complete, finished, and we don't need to bother with her anymore. Well, I would go to Revelation 12, where at the end of Revelation 11, and, and as, as most people know, in the original, there are no chapter divides. So the last verse of Revelation 11 runs right into the first verse of Revelation 12. So Revelation 11:19 says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, loud noises, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. Verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child. So, Revelation eleven nineteen talking about the Ark of the Covenant, and then Revelation 12, 1, the very next verse, talking about this woman, a portent of this woman in heaven. She's pregnant. Well, who is this woman? Well, it doesn't specifically mention a name, but it says this woman is she brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Every Christian I've ever come across, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, says yes, the person who's to rule all nations with a rod of iron is Jesus Christ. And it even says so a couple chapters back in, in Revelation. So, who is the woman who brought forth Jesus Christ? Well, the most fundamental level, it's Mary. Some people will say, well, that's the church or, or it's Israel. Well, you could say, yeah, at, at certain levels of interpretation, that's true. But at the most fundamental level, this woman is Mary. I mean, because it's talking about real persons. Jesus was a real person. It talks about Michael the archangel, real person. All the angels fighting with him, real people, real persons. Uh, the dragon, ancient dragon, Satan, real person. And his angels, real persons. 
all these real persons. So this woman must be a real person as well. Well, what else does it say in Revelation 12 about this woman? The last verse, verse 17. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make the make war on the rest of her offspring. Well, would that, you know, who's the rest of her offspring? It tells us those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. In other words, all Christians are this woman's offspring. So Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, is also the mother of all Christians. So you can approach it, the Ave Maria, Hail Mary. You can approach that with God gave Mary the incredible honor of bearing his son. And because we are all as Christians united mystically to his son, he is our brother and we are mystically members of the body of Christ. Well, if you're, Jesus is your brother and Mary is Jesus's mother, well, she's your mother too as a Christian. And so that's the way I would approach talking about Mary in, in the sense of family, that she's our mother, all Christians' mother, because, as, as, again, as mother of Jesus, he's our brother, she's our mother. So that's where I'd start and, and, and go from there. You know what? I'm being attacked by the microphone. Do you, do you know where I'd go first? Where? Do you know what this means? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Terry in North Carolina will be first up, but we've got a couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to take your phone call. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with guest host John Martinoni. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Great new book available at EWTN's Religious Catalog, Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time by Father Jeffrey Kirby. How are we as Christians supposed to approach living in such a secularized world? Oh, applying divine wisdom and guidance of the church, Father Jeffrey Kirby presents helpful teachings so that the reader knows how to navigate today's contentious world with conviction and a clear conscience. 
in an approachable, easy-to-read guide, just some of the topics this book uh, answers include why is abortion above all other social issues in importance, is health care a human right, and much, much more. That's Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time by Father Jeffrey Kirby, available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Two open lines for you at 833-288-3986. As advertised, Terry is first up today, a first-time caller in the great state of North Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Terry, thanks for holding. You're on with John Martinoni. Thank you, John, for taking my call. I appreciate that. So here's my question. With People getting sick or sicker, and they, they don't want to go to church because they don't want to make anybody else sick, and then they can't get to confession. How or why I found out that the priests don't hear confession over the phone. So with all these people getting so sick, and then, and then they can't get to confession, can they still make a sacred, um, the Blessed Sacrament chaplet? Does that count, or doesn't that count, and why can't priests uh, hear confession over the phone? Okay, um, Blessed Sacrament chaplet substituting for confession, no, that that won't work. The, the sacrament is the sacrament, and you, you don't substitute for a sacrament. Uh, here, regarding why can't priests hear confessions over the phone, you know, I haven't seen or heard anything specifically about that but the fact is i would assume has something to do with the fact that well number one priests can not only forgive sins but they can retain sins and being in someone's presence and you know a lot of times now confessions are are face to face but but even so just having someone right there in front of you where you can talk to them ask questions get a better uh uh, hearing uh, or better measure on on well the, the tone of their voice. Are they really sorry for this sin? And 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 am I really speaking to the person who I think I'm speaking to? In in some cases, you know, I mean, you can call over the phone. If you make it over the phone, well, you can have people call in and say, I mean, prank the priest, Father. You know, I I killed three people uh, last week, and I. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for two of them, but not one. Ah, hang up and, and, you know, you could have all sorts of abuses occur over the phone that you cannot have while in person because some, no one, uh, well, there might be someone sick enough out there to do it, but it would be much harder for, say, a teenager or, or someone like that to go down to the church, wait in a line for confession, go into the confessional and and, and you know, prank the priest or mess with the priest in any way, shape, or form, try to denigrate the sacrament, whereas over the phone, it would be a whole lot easier to do so. I mean, just hear it with, with this show. Over the years, we've had people, uh, which is why you've got, what's the seven-second delay on, on the phone, I think, five-second delay, to where somebody's, we a number of times, the call screener will take a call, and the person will say, well, this is what I want to talk about. Well, they're lying because once they get on the air, well, then they start 
cussing or saying all sorts of stuff. And it's just it's an abuse of 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 the show, uh, you know. So and it's they couldn't do that if they had to come down here in person. So I would imagine that that all plays into why priests cannot hear uh, confessions over the phone. And the thing is, is if you're afraid of catching or spreading a disease, well, number one, if if you've tested positive, then yes, stay home. But once you're over it and you're still afraid of catching it again, there have been plenty of times during COVID where priests were hearing, uh, I mean, I, I saw priests hearing confessions in parking lots. The people were staying in their car. They were several feet away from the priest, rolled down their windows, and the priest would sit in a chair in the parking lot and hear confessions. So I imagine you could arrange something with your priest to where you could be socially distanced if you're afraid of, of catching COVID or, or the flu or some other uh, transmittable disease along those lines. But, but definitely no to confession over the phone. Thanks, Terry. We appreciate the call today. That's 833-288-EWTN. A couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls for John Martinoni at 833-288-3986. Next up is Jack in Pensacola, Florida, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Uh, Jack, you are on with John Martinoni. Great. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question that uh, on the surface it's kind of simple, but I, but I, it has larger implications, so I I kind of want to ask the question and then uh, bring a little bit more context to it. The, the, the simple question is, do Protestants go to purgatory? And then, and the reason I ask that question is because, you know, after as 36 years as a Protestant and then joining the Catholic Church, uh, my understanding of salvation was uh, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're saved, and that's it. You know, you're sealed. It's the once saved, always saved idea. Um, my understanding in the Catholic tradition is that that's not the case at all, and that um, those who will be saved are just those who don't die in a state of mortal sin. But but the the problem there to me it seems is that if you if you can't go to purgatory to be fully expiated of your of your your sins, uh, if you're not Catholic, then how is it that that any Protestants are going to be saved at all? Uh, because because isn't the re- ultimately oh, essentially the requirement is is to be made holy that 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 you can't enter the presence of of God without having been made fully holy. So, okay. so my question again, anyway. So yeah, I think you got I, it. <laughs> I, I understand if if I don't just jump in at in any point. But uh, here's the thing: I would not. I'm not going to say. Yes, Protestants go to purgatory. I'm not going to say no Protestants go to purgatory. I'm going to pick up on uh, on something along the lines of what you were talking about, that in Catholic theology, if you die in a state of mortal sin, you go to hell. If you don't die in a state of mortal sin, you end up in heaven. You might have to go to purgatory first if you have... Um, uh, Temporal punishment, you know, still temporal punishment that's still due to be paid, or you've got an attachment to sin, anything along those lines. But it's not mortal sin; it would be venial sin. So uh, anyone, Catholic, Protestant, uh, Jew, whoever, who does not die in a state of mortal sin, could end up in purgatory. Uh, because eventually they're headed to heaven, again, if they don't die in a state of mortal sin. The caveat to that is that 
as Catholics, we have more weapons, uh, more, more ways, more treasures of the church that aid us in not dying in a state of mortal sin, that aid us in growing in holiness. Uh, the seven sacraments, uh, particularly uh, the Eucharist and confession. We've got, uh, you know, the rosary, praying with the, the communion of saints, all these other treasures, the sacramentals, holy water, so forth, that aid us in becoming holy, that aid us in avoiding more dying in mortal sin. Protestants have some of those, and, and depending on which Protestant denomination you're in, you could have more of those versus less of those. Uh, so what I, what I tell people, I say, look, the question is not, is this person going to heaven or purgatory, or is this person going to hell? The question is, would everyone be better off being Catholic? Would everyone be better off receiving Jesus in the Eucharist as opposed to not receiving Jesus in the Eucharist? And for me, the answer to that as a Catholic, believing that the Eucharist is the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. Everyone would be better off by being Catholic in terms of their opportunity or or their odds, if you will, of making it to heaven. So it is our duty as Catholics then to go out there and spread the good news of the fullness of the truth that is contained in the Catholic faith. So I'm not going to say no Protestants don't go to purgatory, or yes, they do, but if they die in a state of grace and they're not fully holy, they're not perfectly holy, then yes, they would go to purgatory, but again— I'm, I'm looking at, I'm changing the question a little bit, is not worrying about does this person go here or this person go there, because that's really not up to us, and we have no way of knowing in this lifetime. So the better question is, would this person have a better chance of getting to heaven, even if they have to go through purgatory first, versus not getting to heaven as a Catholic receiving the sacraments and so forth? Right. I don't mind reframing the question that way. It's just my my understanding, ultimately, of the whole salvific reality of God is that the whole point of Christ's uh, redemptive act is is to make us holy so we can be reconciled fully to God. Right. And, and, but but my understanding is that we can't we can't enter God's presence in eternity without having been made holy. So if if we're if we die and and our sins are not fully uh, again, I, I use the word expiated, but uh, fully uh, done, dealt, dealt with, um, then then we can't enter that presence. And, and then, if you, so, if you can't go to purgatory, then it seems to me that that you're not going to get get to that. Well, state. Here, I certainly would agree that 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 the the, the graces are fuller and more you have a better chance of that by being in the Catholic faith. I'm, I certainly agree with that. Right. Well, there, there is no sign. There is no sign on the no. door of purgatory that says Protestants not allowed. Okay, so if a Protestant dies in a state of grace and their their sins have not been fully expiated, they still have attachment to sin or or, or like unexpiated sin, sin that's not paid for, uh, the temporal punishment not paid for yet, then they would go to purgatory before they went to heaven. This, there's 
you know, no doubt there's nothing in Catholic theology that says, oh, just because you're Protestant, you can't get into purgatory, even if you die in a state of grace. Nothing along those lines. Okay? 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with guest host John Martinoni. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Manuel in Carlsbad, New Mexico, another first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Manuel, you're on with John Martinoni. How you doing, John? Thanks for taking my call. Listen, I've had this kind of... um, thought about um, whether it's Thessalonians or Matthew twenty four forty four. We talked about like a thief in the night. Nobody, you know, nobody knows the hour. I mean, I know it's a different couple scriptures, but to me, I want to know, does it mean like the end of the world, um, like coming in the clouds kind of thing, or like a thief in the night, you're going to die and your world's going to end? You, you, know, you understand what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Did you? Um, it could be both or either. So, um, yes, for any given individual. And basically, the underlying premise for both of those situations is the same. You need to be ready to die today. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows. Who knows? Nobody, nobody. knows. So, so if, if it means, hey, your death, you know, Jesus will come for you today like a thief in the night then you know hey you need to have been ready today but in in, uh the specific verse you mentioned from first thessalonians 5 verse 2 it's talking about for you yourselves know well that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night well go back up to first thessalonians 4 and the context there is talking essentially about the end of the world. It's that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That happens when? Not at some rapture uh, that, that the Protestants have or, or think is, is in this verse, in this passage, but at the end of the world. And, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we'll always be with the Lord. So the context for that path, that that little uh, a phrase, coming, the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in Thessalonians 5, is the end of the world. And in other passages, it could also be the end of the world, but it, again, could also be, hey, God is coming for you today or tomorrow and you need to be ready today because if you think oh you know i don't have to do these these spiritual works of mercy or corporal works of mercy i don't have to pay attention to the 10 commandments now i can wait until i'm older and i'm on my deathbed and then i can repent and and say god you know i'm so sorry for my sins and then well 
God may come for you today. So the answer, Manuel, is is uh, both and either one. Does that help you out? That does help me. Just in other words, do not procrastinate. The the the, the time is at hand. Yes, I, I I I'm with you. But I, I just was kind of caught up in the, the you know the, the the coming in the clouds or you know your deathbed. And I but like you said, I guess it it makes sense both of them. Because um, in the context, they both mean the same thing. Yes, because for any individual person, they both mean the same thing. But and but for the world as a whole, the the you know obviously the second coming of Christ is different than the death of any individual person. God bless you, Manuel. We appreciate the phone call today. Next up is Mark, another first-time caller in San Antonio, Texas, listening on iHeartRadio. Mark, you're on with John Martinoni. Hi, Mr. Martinoni. How are you today, sir? I am doing all right, Mark. How are you? Blessed, sir. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, I have a question. Uh, We went to Mass as a family one Sunday, and the parochial vicar was presiding, and... uh, my daughter and her boyfriend came in a little late, and they sat in a different area than we did. And as Mass was over, uh, the priest, oh, actually the parochial vicar was, as he was ex- exiting, told my daughter and her boyfriend, uh, could I see you before you leave? And my daughter, oh, we've been parishioners there for 19 years. And my daughter didn't find it odd, you know, well, you know. He was in the foyer, you know, saying bye to the people. And she walked up to him and said, you know, well, hi, you know, what's going on? And he told her and the boyfriend, if you're going to continue talking during Mass, uh, don't come back to Mass. And my daughter was like, like, wow. And she, you know, she didn't tell me what had happened until we went to eat afterwards, and I thought about it, I go, oh, you know, me, I know, Mija, what happened, what did he tell you, and she goes, yeah, yeah, I mean, my, my wife was like, what, what did, what we call him father, because he is a priest, and we go, what did father tell you, and then she, when she told us that, it's like, what, what did he tell you, he goes, yeah, that's what he told them, like, I found that incredible, does he have the authority to tell a person that? Okay, here's the thing. He has the authority to speak to them. I don't know that he could actually deny them to come into the the building and attend Mass, um, unless they've done something egregious in the church, you know, vandalized the church or, or you know, made threats against people or some, something rather serious. But, uh, but uh, and, and not being in the priest's position, so not seeing what he was seeing, there's different uh, questions I would ask of your daughters. Well, were you two talking the whole time? Because what you need to understand is that the priest, excuse me, up there in front of the congregation, and and depending on how large the church is, how many people are there, he can pretty much see everything that's going on in the church. It's like a teacher in the front of the classroom. Students who, who try to cheat, they think, oh, the teacher can't see me. Oh, oh, yeah, the teacher can see you. Don't, don't ever doubt that. I, I've been in front of the classroom, and I've, I've easily seen people cheating. Uh, so the priest in the front of the, you know, of the church, he, during Mass, he can see things going on. And it could have been that 
you know, if your daughter's talking a lot with her boyfriend, it could have been very distracting to him. So he might have been a little miffed, uh, gotten a little bit, been out of shape. Uh, so you know, remember your family and particularly your daughter. Remember the priest is a human being. So sometimes he can say things that, well, the situation doesn't really warrant that. Or it could be that, hey, um, you know, daughter, just make sure that if you do talk, that it's not the whole time that you are actually paying attention to, to, to mass. And if you do need to talk, that it's absolutely for an essential reason, like, excuse me, I need to get out of the pew uh, I, I'm going to head to the restroom or, or, or I need to go outside for a breath, breath of fresh air. I feel like I'm going to fa- something along those lines, you know, that, that it's a serious reason to have to talk. Because if you don't have to talk during mass, then your focus should indeed be on what is going on in at the mass, uh, the, the liturgy, the words of the priest, the words of the prayers, the actions of the priest and so on. So. Uh, that's what I would say is, is number one, cut the priest some slack, um, because if he was out out of, uh, you know, if he did go overboard, he's a human being, has his good days, bad days. Number two, check with your daughter yourself and say, hey, look, just don't be talking during mass uh, unless you absolutely have to, because again, nothing else the priest could be very, very distracted by it while he's trying to be fully engaged in the liturgy. Do, does that make sense? Uh, and I did call a, another parochial vicar who had just left our parish like two years ago and asked for advice, and he almost said exactly what you said. <laughs> Cut him some slack. He's human. He might have been having a bad day, and my wife wanted to confront him. And I said, well, hold, 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 hold on, let's call, you know, Mr., you know, Father So-and-so who just left. And he said, exactly what you said, kind of some slack. He's human. He might have been having a bad day. He goes, you know what, just, you know, put in the past, move on, say a prayer for the man. That's it. And that's it. He goes, everything will be fine. That's it. And just and explain to your daughter, just say, you know, hey, it, the priest, maybe he's out of line, but just let it go and say the exact thing, same thing to your daughter that the priest said to you. And just tell her, say, we're called as Christians to forgive, even when even the priest occasionally needs forgiveness. God bless you, Mark. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. Uh, still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Janice is another first-time caller in Des Moines, Iowa, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Janice, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I was raised uh, Protestant. I'm about a three-year new Catholic. Um, my sister is still Protestant, and I am uh, looking for some scripture or ways to retort to her about salvation. Um, You know, they believe that once you have salvation, you can never lose it, and I know as Catholics, we don't believe that, so um, what would be a good way to maybe reach that with her? Okay. Have you ever heard that before? It sounds vaguely familiar. (laughs) Here's the thing, Janice. 
Number one, but before I give you my answer here on the phone, because I've only got you know a minute or two with you here on the phone, I'm going to recommend you go to my website. It's BibleChristianSociety.com. BibleChristianSociety.com. I've got something like 29 talks, I think, there on various topics to deal, dealing with the faith, and one of them is called Once Saved, Always Saved. If you still have a CD player in your car, you can order a free CD. If you don't have a CD player, you can listen to it straight off the website. You can download it there at MP3 Download, or, or again, just listen to it right at the website. It will give you all sorts of Scripture passages, because I just go straight from the Bible. I don't, I don't tell them, well, Pope said, Pope so-and-so said this, or Vatican II said this, or anything, or the Catechism says it. It is straight from the Bible about once saved, always saved, and it absolutely obliterates, shows how the Bible obliterates the teaching of the false teaching of once saved, always saved. But, so let me give you one here that is one of the first ones I usually go to. It's from John 15. Verses 1 through 6, this is where Jesus at the Last Supper, he talks about he is the vine, and he says his disciples are the branches. So you go in there, you you go to your sister, you say, let me ask you a question about this. I've been reading John 15, and I wanted to ask you a question. said, if Jesus is the vine, then branches of the vine must be Christians, Right? And so that, that's the, the lead-in question for your sisters. The branches must be Christian. Because how could somebody who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus, be attached to Jesus Christ, who is the vine? So it makes sense. These are believers we're talking about who are the branches of the vine. And say, well, if that's the case, then it says, um, you know, if the branches don't bear fruit, it says that... It, they are cast forth as a branch. They wither and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So if once saved, always saved is true, how does this passage make any sense? Because if the branches are believers, they can't be cut off from the vine, which is Jesus Christ. They can't wither and they can't you know, be tossed into the fire. And burn, and the fire obviously is a, a euphemism here for hell. So um, this passage presents a real big problem for believers in once saved, always saved. So right there, John 15, 1 through 6, go and ask her those questions and see what she says. And another thing to understand because, you know, once saved, always saved is also called eternal security, the, the doctrine of eternal security. Ask your sister, say, do you believe there are people who think they're saved but really aren't saved? And if she's like every other person, every other Protestant I've asked that, and I'm talking dozens if not hundreds of times I've asked that question, every single one says, yes, there are people who think they're saved but they really aren't saved. Then you say, look at her, and you say, well, are you saved? And she'll say, yes, of course I am. Say, well, wouldn't somebody who thinks they're saved but really isn't saved say the same thing? And she say, well, so how do you know that you're saved? Well, I know in my heart I'm really saved. Wouldn't someone who thinks they're saved but really aren't saved say the same thing? And get across the point that, hey, 
you can't have eternal security if you think there's the possibility that you can believe you're saved but not really be saved. So there's the common sense approach, and then there's the scriptural approach. But again, go to my website, BibleChristianSociety.com, and listen to that talk on Once Saved, Always Saved. Or better still have her listen to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you listen to it first and then say, I want you to listen to this. This guy goes straight from the Bible. Could you respond to this talk? I, I'd really appreciate your, your opinion on this. Does that help, Janice? That's, that is absolutely perfect. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Julie, another first-time caller in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Julie, you're on with John Martinoni. Okay, yeah. So my question is, um, if you could touch on the base, or like touch on the actual urgency of baptism, both with babies and adults, specifically what I'm thinking of is, um, so with like the parishes, we go to Norvis Ordis Parish, and we've been to a different a couple ones through the years. Um, you know, they have kind of a lot of different things that you have to do before you can get your child baptized. You know, you have to go to class. Maybe your godparents have to go to classes. You have to present the birth certificate and schedule in a time. And so, like, all of my kids, pretty much, it, it's taken, like, months to set up. And then maybe, like, the godparents aren't super available. Um, I know some friends of ours, they took a while to baptize their baby because they um, they wanted a certain, like, priest friend coming from out of state to baptize them. And, and so it all kind of got delayed, and it take, took months. But then we have friends who go to, um, like, a Latin Mass, like FSSP, and their pastor was telling them, you know, it's a canon law that you have to have your child baptized within a few weeks, but they don't require, um, you know, they don't require a birth certificate, and they don't require classes, and they'll even help you find godparents. So they don't have, like, the same barriers. You know, they can, like, get their kids baptized within, like, the first couple weeks. Um, so my first part of my question is, is, like, are parishes and people, like, a lot of people I know, are they are they wrong in how they're setting up their kids to be baptized, you know, because it's taking so long, it's delaying something that shouldn't be delayed? And then the other thing is, like, I was a catechumen years ago, and, you know, I had to wait to go through all the classes before I was baptized. And I had one priest who said to me, he said, do you want me to baptize you tonight? Because he was all worried I wasn't baptized. And I was like, no, I can wait till Easter Vigil. But it was like, he felt like this urgency, but then the church doesn't really feel that urgency, you know, because they, they have you wait till Easter Vigil. Um, but just like not that urgency to baptize me, like there would even be a baby. You just kind of touch on, like, the actual urgency. <laughs> Okay. Uh, regarding babies, I'm one of those, and, and I go to a Novus Ordo Mass, but I'm one of those that says the sooner the better, because a lot of people, uh, and it's, it's not taught so much from the pulpit anymore, but a lot of people do not understand that, uh, you know, John, John 3, verses 3 through 5 says, unless you've been born again of water and the Spirit— which is baptism, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So who would want that to be possibly denied to their newborn baby? If, you know, some unfortunate thing, a car accident or some, some uh, heart disease that wasn't detected by the doctor after, immediately after birth or something, and that child dies. 
you would not want your child to die unbaptized. So my recommendation is always get it done sooner rather than later. I, I would say, um, you know, definitely within a few weeks. Do not wait months. Regarding classes for baptism, the the priest, if the priest knows one of his parishioners is pregnant, he ought to be having them come to the the, the parents come to baptism classes during the pregnancy, not after the birth, so that the child can be baptized pretty quickly after birth. And and the other thing is, is you need to recognize, parents need to recognize that if they're in a situation, I mean, driving home from the hospital, you could be in a car wreck, your child, you, your child could be severely injured. You as a parent can baptize a child. Um, anybody actually can, if you have water and use the proper formula, you know, I baptize you in the name of the father and the name of the son and so forth. Anyway. Um, so yes, I am one that thinks waiting months and months in order to get the right priest from, from Washington or California or wherever, or New York to come and baptize the baby. No, uh, uh, that I just, I would never do that with my own children or, or, well, we need to wait for Aunt Clara, you know, and she, she's, she's been living in Europe the last few years and she'll, she'll be here in, in six months at Christmas. Then we could do, no, it, it's not about the ants. It's not about the priest. It's not about, it's about that child's eternal salvation. And when that message is made clear, then the urgency, the word you kept using, which I, I agree hundred percent, the urgency of baptism becomes much more clear, and, you know, I, I would rather have—the church teaches babies that die unbaptized. We can't say where their eternal destination is. All we say, all it says in the catechism, we leave their eternal destiny up to the mercy of God. Well, I would rather be absolutely assured that my child is going to heaven because— they were baptized and they never committed a personal sin because they weren't old enough when they died. So, and, and then with uh, catechumens, that's something that that's where the church, that's where the teaching on uh, baptism of desire really comes into play because the catechumens are wanting to be members of the church. They're wanting to be baptized. So, if something should happen to one of them during the process of coming into the church, then the church teaches that the baptism of desire would apply in that instance. So I would say it's not as urgent for catechumens, but definitely is urgent for babies. And, and I, I, I personally believe that it's, it's a mistake. I'm not going to use the word wrong, but it's a mistake to wait weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months to baptize your child just so everybody can be there, the priest that you want there can be there. And no, it's about the child's eternal salvation, so get it done ASAP. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Got an email here from Andy, and he says, In Romans 10, St. Paul says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says Matthew in Matthew 7, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. How to reconcile? Well, you guys, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and keeps calling on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you, you can't 
take that verse out and make it trump over all the other verses. They all come into play. There's there's a passage in 1 Timothy, woman will be saved through childbearing. Well, that's not very fair to men because we can't bear, well, although in our culture today, I guess they say men can have babies, huh? Uh, yeah, right. So, uh, and there's all these other things, you know, uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick and the imprisoned, uh, uh, forgiving others of their sins against you, all these, you know, receiving the Eucharist, confessing your sins, all of these things play into one's individual salvation. So yes, calling on the name of the Lord, but that's, that doesn't just mean, hey, I'm going to stand here and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, it means calling on the name of the Lord is very broad. It means I'm going to call on his name by doing all of these things that he has said we need to do. So it's not just, hey, uh, you know, I'm calling on the name of the Lord and going to do this. But then, you know, in, in like you said, Matthew 7, not everyone who call, who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, why not? Well, because they were saying, Lord, Lord, but they were making people look at themselves by doing the things. They were doing the things they were doing for the wrong reasons. They did, Their heart wasn't in the right place. Maybe they weren't receiving the Eucharist. Maybe they weren't forgiving others of their sins against them and so forth and so on. So it's not just this passage is Trump or that passage is Trump. It's you have to take all of the passage together. They work as an organic whole. You know, I mean, Matthew 19, keep the commandments. You have to do all of these things, not just this one thing or that one thing, but all of these things together in order to be holy. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, is it your birthday? Uh, yeah, it's my birthday today. Happy, happy birthday. Thank you. I got my Medicare card in the mail the other day. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> well, on behalf of our birthday boy, John Martinoni, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with uh, Father Mitch Pacwa. Until we get together then, God bless. <laughs>